Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of The Wonderful World of Wine. I'm here with my co-host, Mark. How are you doing this week, Mark? I am great, Kim. How are you today? Wonderful. I'm pretty good. You know, we're into the new year, and it's a little cold, but not too bad, and uh, things are going swimmingly. Uh, yeah. This week, we are lucky enough to have a guest on our show. We will be talking to Kathy Clancy, who is the wine educator at the Natural Wine School, who will be telling us a little bit about what she does and what her wine programs are all about, and give us a little bit of information about this trend topic of natural wine that we have spoken about a number of times over the last couple of years. Yeah, Kim, and I love when we find guests. We always say the wonderful world of wine, and, and this is truly a case where we've communicated with Kathy online and we said, hey, we, we really need to let our listeners know what Kathy is doing in the wine world. So Kathy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I feel privileged to be included on your show. Well, we're happy to have you. So Kathy, first, why don't you uh, just give a little introduction? Your your website is the naturalwineschool.com. Can you tell our listeners first about your company or about the Natural Wine School? Um, sure. So the Natural Wine School is trying to solve a problem within the industry. We focus on wine professionals and wine servers who want to serve organic and natural wines to their customers and do it in a way that really focuses on their customers' wellness. So we found this to be a problem. So we've created courses that teach wine professionals about wine uh, farming practices and winemaking practices, how they impact their users. And we chain these user, the uh, servers and wine professionals into wine guides. So I focus on the wine professionals and servers but we also want to help the public as well. There's a lot of decentralized information and a lot of marketing, as you guys have pointed out, like clean wine, natural wine, that's confusing to users. So we're looking to make it more, it's easier for users uh, to find wines that fit their lifestyle. Um, and we vet information. We're looking for facts. We're very fact-based. When we first discovered Kathy, I said to Kim, this is right up our alley. This is what we talk about all the time. And Kathy's like out there preaching the the wine word that I call it. And a lot of times we send articles back and forth. And I say to Kathy, you know, Kathy sends me back some really scientific things following up on a lot of the stuff we, we talk about. So I think this is really great, Kim. What, what did you think when I, we first saw this? I think. I actually thought that it was so refreshing to talk to Kathy the first time that we had a conversation because your take on the natural wine movement is so much more about getting beyond the marketing mumbo jumbo. You know, you're so focused on scientific facts 
and about actually getting to the bottom of, well, is this something that is good for people? How is this focused on people's health and getting beyond kind of those scare tactics of, well, this is a clean wine, meaning that I'm sort of insinuating that everything else is an unclean wine. So I really found that very refreshing. And I like that your focus is you're trying to educate in that next level of folks who are in the service industry who then can go out and talk one-on-one with their customers or with their guests. And I I find that that level of interaction with the public is so very important. Having just come from doing that myself for the last year in a restaurant environment, that it's so very important to have that person who is having that personal interaction with someone in a restaurant or with someone in a wine store to have that information and to really be able to present it cleanly and clearly and in a way that the guest can understand. And and I really just love that your focus is all about that. Upcoming with a focus on how Kathy gets that word out and the tools she has. We're going to we're going to cover some of that today. Kathy, can you just tell us and our listeners a little bit about your background and your wine adventures? Well, sure. You know, I would tell you that I was just a normal everyday average wine drinker until about 4 years ago. I had been working at a position that allowed me to travel around the world. And the more I talked to people who were drinking wines, and um, I have an environmental background as well, the more I realized that wine had so many more constituents than the average wine drinker knew. And, And it was impacting my health. And it's taken me about four years of rigorous study to realize that the the normal wine training that we get, I'm trained on the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, doesn't really touch on the topics of what's in a wine and how it impacts health. And I was truly inspired to create the Natural Wine School to fill that gap. And I can tell you for the last four years, I have visited in, let's see, France, the US, Argentina, Chile, and Italy, uh, 60 of the top leading biodynamic and organic wine producers and their local leaders, because I really wanted to learn what they felt their secret was and why they thought their wines were better to compare them to conventional wines. Um, So I'm just kind of a nerd. And like I said, I've got an environmental background as well. And uh, I just really feel it's important for the public to be able to know what's in their wine, how it impacts them, because it's not on a label. Kind of just demystify it. We've brought up a number of times on our show that um, the, the topic of wine labeling and what you actually see on a wine label, how you can decode what is on the back of a wine label. You know, it's almost like this secret language. <laughs> we, Mark and I have, we have two classes dedicated only to how to read a wine label because it can be very mystifying for the public. Like you sometimes can feel like, oh, there's a lot of information on here. And then other times you're like, this isn't really telling me a whole lot of anything that I really want to know about. So I personally feel like that is something that the public is really kept in the dark about with what is in your what is in your wine. And I don't know necessarily why 
or how it has gotten to that point that, you know, we view wine still through this romantic lens of this is a product that is from the earth and not necessarily really messed with by human hands, but that is really not the case. And I think that a lot of consumers really are not knowledgeable about what is actually in their bottle of wine. I would agree with you. I've also found that, um, so the, those fringes, the extremes saying all clean versus dirty, most of the wines that we drink really don't have that many additives. If you're paying low bottom dollar for a wine, yeah, you're probably getting additives, but most reputable winemakers are not adding that many, many things, but does it match your lifestyle? Who knows? You know, you may be allergic to some of the additives that are commonly used causing your headache. You know, it's not sulfites. So I'm with you, Kim. I mean, I'm trying to demystify things and I, I read studies to go for the facts. Kathy, I'm so jealous of your travels between you and Kim. I, I feel like uh, <laughs> all my travels are in books. And uh, when I hear you've been to, to Italy and Argentina and France, uh, I'm jealous. And I have to ask, when you're traveling and, and asking others around the world about U.S. consumers and what we're drinking, do they give you any feedback that they think, you know, the U.S. is not drinking healthy or drinking the right things? Absolutely. And Mark, I think I shared with you um, part of my, I took a sabbatical. I live with families in different parts of the world for two or three months at a time to immerse in their culture and to understand how wine fit in daily routine. And they absolutely believe Americans overconsume. They don't respect the wine. And the wine for them is a ceremony. Social, it's social, yes, but it's, I mean, they're so proud of it. It's a gift where I believe their view of the Americans are, you know, we just buy a bottle and drink it without a thought. So I, I yes, I, that, that is the view. I can tell you from my perspective. And it probably goes hand in hand with how folks in other countries probably view how Americans view food as well. Um, Agreed. Because I know that in you know the countries that I visited that have more of a longstanding tradition of wine with food, there is more of this, well, you know, you don't separate the two. Wine is part of the meal. Wine is considered another aspect of what you're eating for your meal. So you don't necessarily break the two apart. And I can only imagine how... <laughs> Americans' um, food habits are, are viewed in other parts of the world. Yeah, we've said yeah. that many times where other countries, you know, Italy, it's it's a beverage. It's not uh, an, an alcohol. I don't know how you say it. Why don't we say treat? But it, it's a beverage. It's an everyday beverage over there that they, they handle responsibly and they respect it. So you mentioned food, Kim. Of course, you're the foodie. And I wanted, <laughs> I had a question of food related for Kathy. Now, practicing all this uh, natural wine school for wines, do you personally practice the same theories for food that you eat, organic food? and things of that nature? I do. And Mark, you make a really good point. And something that was really important with me when I started the school is I, so I'm eating organic foods, very careful about what I choose. And then I'm buying, you know, this was before I started traveling, I'm buying a nine buck chalk, right? That has all kinds of additives. Once I learned that I was like, you know, basically I've negated all of my healthy habits by my wine consumption. It's not aligned. And that's really, uh, really, really critical in my teachings, at least for the public to say, hey, listen, if you're going to eat this way, live this way. 
vegan, whatever, and you drink wine, let's educate you for alignment. So were you looking for wine alternatives and found that nothing existed to help you? So that why you kind of created your own thing with the natural wine school? It wasn't so much that as much as I lived in with a family outside of Bordeaux and they took me to an organic vineyard. And honestly, that was what started my business. The, this, this young family who started this vineyard said that they started using pesticides and they had workers dying and all the native plants died. And they realized that the way they were farming was not true to what they wanted to give to the public. And it spoke to me on a wine level, but also a food level. I said, wow, this kind of goes together. And it's been a driving force for me, to be honest. I would just, I was so sad by their stories. I was very moved. Obviously I started a business. <laughs> You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, you can find her on VinitasWineWorks.com. For more information on myself, you can go to FranklinLickers.com. You're listening to us on WFPRF.FM, 102.9 FM radio. We air Wednesdays at 10 a.m., 1 p.m., and 7 p.m., and again, Saturday at 1 p.m., and you can find us online wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we have a very special guest. We're talking with Kathy Clancy of The Natural Wine School, and we're just catching up on I'm getting jealous of Kathy's travels and uh, talking all things wine. Kathy, I had a question for you. You were just speaking about how your experiences in France and uh, in, in other countries where you're talking to people who are owning vineyards, working in the vineyards, have wineries, how their personal experiences really made an impact on you and, and caused you to ask the questions about what is in my wine and therefore to start your wine school. Um, there seems like between your experience as an environmental scientist and and then your experience with these, you know, sort of boots on the ground kind of times in Europe. Can you speak a little bit about how those two things put together have impacted how you have put together your curriculum for your wine school? Um, absolutely. So the curriculum that I do have, I vet through, I have a registered dietitian who I work with. So I've got, and she works with food scientists. So as somebody who cares about chemicals and environment, I do want the true scientific view of things. And that's a moving target, I have to say. Uh, one challenge I think the whole public has with wine is there aren't that many scientific studies that have been done. Mm -hmm. So I do have somebody who's, she's very rigorous and does a lot of research for me. So that's important to me is that the public is seeing the latest information and what I consider to be the best vetted. So, and I, I take that as my reputation um, when it comes to my wine school. And then you talk to the people who are on the ground, as you said, Kim, you know what? Sometimes it's science and art and you kind of just have to go with the flow because think of like biodynamics and, you know, they're putting the manure in the horns and some of it sounds a little funky. So the science isn't always pure, but it works. So, uh, so I think, you know, some of the mystery behind wine is actually quite fun. But, you know, we do need science when we're talking about wellness with people. Kathy, you talk about additives and chemicals and a lot of the mystery 
when we talk to listeners is, is trying to get the word out. There are some other things that are in the wine. So I have two kind of questions on that. First off, how do you define an additive? And do you think the U.S. winemakers are more additives than any other parts of the world? Here's my experience. So what I define as an additive is anything, whether it's organic or inorganic, that's used to enhance a wine or correct a wine. A lot of the additives that are used, especially in the U.S., if you're looking at bulk wines, but that can be Australia, South Africa, it's used to correct a wine where maybe there's a bulk vintage, maybe it was a a large, gross harvest that really wasn't taken care of, where they can use additives to correct things. So that's what I see as additives. If you are a thoughtful winemaker, a thoughtful farmer, they use less additives. So that happened. I mean, that is true. Then I would say around the world, we're seeing the US, I think is pretty much on par. Even in Bordeaux, I found, and I was quite surprised at the number of additives being used and also the industrial processes Um, So Mark, when I think of wine, I think of the farming side with the harvest, but the second part of that is that processing part where they're using industrial equipment and industrial like reverse osmosis, you know, thing I don't think we think of being used on wines and it's kind of rough processing versus what you see with a biodynamic or natural winemaker. So I think I would say the uh, the U.S. is probably on par with what I've seen. South America is probably the fewest, to be honest. So it's more an issue of the size of the production than it is where in the world it's happening, you're saying? I'm saying it's more philosophy-based. Hmm. I think size size absolutely matters. But when you're looking at philosophy, and I would look at Fry Vineyards out in California, one of the first to go organic. They have biodynamic wines. It's a large process, but they do their best to keep it low intervention, less industrial, but they're huge. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I've seen small winemakers basically add whatever they needed to, to get a vintage out. So this is where learning more about wine and asking better questions is mm-hmm. really critical. To- and I think this is the part where it gets really confusing for the consumer because there's no easy point your yeah. finger at, oh, this is what it says on the label. So therefore I can make a decision about whether I feel like this is a low intervention wine versus a, a more industrial kind of process because you can't necessarily point at big production, small production, country, Price point? I mean, does that? I think price point is um, is, a, is a driver for a lot of it, yes. So, so those less it, expensive bottles, you'd be more likely to find that there is a little bit more sort of, of this chemical fixing going on. I would say, my, this is my personal opinion that if you're buying a wine that's $15 or under, most likely, it may not be the additives, most likely it's not using a, uh, a wild yeast, most likely. It's also probably going through more of an industrial processing. Now, again, the wine tastes great. It's not like it's any different than drinking a Coke. You know, it's a processed food. So I don't think it's horrible for you at any level. To me, it's how does it meet your, your personal uh, philosophies and goals and lifestyles? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, alcohol, as you, you guys all know, I mean, that's, that's the culprit in all of it. 
but these are processed foods and it's, you know, on the spectrum of how processed do you, you know, do you bothers you how processed is it, you know? I think it's very interesting that you come back to philosophy time and time again, whether it is mm-hmm. the on the production side or whether it's on the consumer side, because as consumers, we make decisions every day about what we want to be putting our money towards and what, what we want to be standing behind. You know, do we want to be eating organic food or does it not matter to us? Or if someone is vegetarian or someone is vegan. So very interesting that there are now these ways that we can align our wine drinking and our wine choices with those personal decisions that we're making about our food. You have a wonderful download on your website that speaks just to this, where it, you know, it, it gives you your different, I think, qualifications of things that you want to be sticking to when it comes to your health and it comes to what you're consuming. And then you give options of this is the best choice. This is a better choice. You know, this is an okay choice. And I find that to be uh, very eye-opening, but also, you know, really refreshing because it gives people options and it, it, you know, you're not pointing at pointing fingers at someone saying, no, you're you're bad or you're wrong by making this choice. You know, you're giving people the opportunity to make the choices that are best for them and for their situations. Yeah. And I have to say, Kathy, this is probably one of the best wine education tools I've seen with this wine and wellness survival guide. So if you go to Kathy's website, uh, the naturalwineschool.com, she has a download. It says wine and wellness survival guide. And I was hoping, Kathy, we could kind of hit on a few items on this list. And and I love how you put it because you you have categories and you say, this is the best choice, this is the better choice, and this is a good choice. And it's kind of uh, on Kim's philosophy where she gives people cards and says, if you like this, try that or try this, almost on that kind of take, don't you think, Kim, on your your theory on that? Yeah. You're giving people choices and you're letting them make the final decision because you you're not the you're not the final one to make a decision for for someone or a choice for for them. So you're you're giving them options and you're letting you're kind of like opening a window or opening a door so that people have the opportunity to explore new things, but also not necessarily feel bad about their decisions. And and I like that. Well, thank you. My goal with a lot of this was to get more people to ask questions and look at the wine label and really kind of push their wine retailer or a restaurant owner to say, hey, and also if it's important to them, Kim, just like you said, let's say, hey, I'm vegan. What do you know about vegan? Or I can't have sulfites. Help me. So yeah, well, I appreciate that, guys, um, very much. This is, this is kind of the heart of what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm happy to share it with the public. And this and is think- a great time, too, because the first of the year, everybody's looking for more healthy start of the new year. And mm-hmm. uh, you have a category that says diet and lifestyle. And one of them is the Mediterranean low-calorie friendliest category. I thought we could start talking a little bit about that and your kind of theory of how you came up with the choices for people in that category? Absolutely. The Mediterranean diet is a diet that obviously out of the Mediterranean, more Italy and France. And so red wines, which have uh, more polyphenols in them, which are good for you as far as antioxidants. So that's where I started. Anything that had skin contact um, has more polyphenols or stem contact or pulp. So that's why I started with the, uh, the reds, and the orange wines, and that has higher 
is higher uh, alcohol has a higher calorie content than sugars. So if you're looking for calorie friendly, you're actually looking for lower alcohol and sugar isn't going to hurt you because it has less calories when it comes to, um, you know, your total caloric input. So that's your best category for, for low calorie friendly wines. Dry reds, yeah. lower alcohol. Yes. And also that fit with a Mediterranean diet. So from that area, I mean, you're looking at dry whites, dry white wines, dry red wines. So if you think of Italy, you know, and, and France. I was going to say how convenient that so many Italian wines <laughs> just naturally fit into that category. You know, you think of... Sangiovese based wines, and you think about all those mm -hmm. white wines from the central part of the country, whether it be, you know, Campania, or whether it be the Marche, or, you know, you get those really dry, light wine, light white wines that are like 11%, 12%, um, and the reds too. So there are so many options for people that fit into this category and then fit with this type of diet and this type of lifestyle. Yes. So then what would you say, you have an, another category, you say what to avoid if you, you want this Mediterranean or low calorie option of wine, what would you avoid? Well, like I said, I, even though that, um, you know, residual sugars have lower calorie content, what I found is that many of the wines that are sweeter are, um, have an added sugar potential or, um, are, are a sugar concentrate in them. So I typically ask people to stay away from a semi-dry or a sweet wine for a caloric, you know, just for calories. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We're your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. And you can listen to us every week on WFPR, Franklin, Massachusetts Public Radio, 102.9 FM. Welcome back. And we are talking to Kathy Clancy with The Natural Wine School. And we're talking about this fantastic chart that she has on her website about wine and wellness and different categories that you might be sticking to when it comes to the kinds of foods that you want to eat or the kind of diet that you want to be participating in. And she's got these wonderful categories that tell you what are the better or best uh, types of wines that you can be enjoying as part of that healthy lifestyle. So we were just talking about Mediterranean diet, Kathy, we were talking about lower calorie, but you did mention before about consumers who might be vegans or vegetarians and who are concerned about what might be in their wines that has, that is an animal byproduct. And I know that not only when I was working retail, but I feel like throughout my entire career of doing wine education, this is a question that does come up often from people uh, who they do want to stay away from any animal byproducts that might be in their wine. I can imagine that this was probably a driving factor for a lot of the education that you do with some of the restaurants that I know you're affiliated with that might have a very high vegan or vegetarian uh, clientele. Absolutely. One of the key rest restaurants I work with, once you sit at the table, they ask you if you have any diet restrictions. That's the first question. And one of the first things that comes up is vegan, you know, that they're vegan. So you're, ex you're exactly right. And, you know, it's very misleading. There are a lot of wines out there. People assume wines are vegan, mm -hmm. um, right? But a lot of wines do use animal byproducts in clarifying the wine, taking out the proteins. And that can be isinglass, which is a fish bladder, 
or um, byproducts of milk or albumin from egg yolks, which are all, they've been used for centuries. But if you're vegan, it is a problem. I have found that natural wines for the most part, because they're not clarified and they're not fined, are they're unfiltered, those and biodynamic are typically the wines that you can be assured they're non-vegan. Those wines, most of the time too, are hand harvested. I mean, one thing to think about is machine harvesting catches a lot of different things when the grapes are being harvested. And that could be anything on the grape at the time. So hand harvesting, you have a better chance of not collecting things like, not to be crude, but animals or bugs on a wine. So it's something to consider when you're um, looking at vegan wines. This is why I have those under best and better. I always find it funny when I, I talk to winemakers because I have customers who are vegan and they come in and ask for vegan options, but then they don't know where to turn. Like, how do we know something is vegan if it doesn't have the vegan symbol on it. So a lot of times when I'm buying wines, I'll ask the winemaker, do you practice vegan practice? And, and I'm surprised, Kathy, a lot of times they don't know what I'm talking about. And it kind of concerns me when a winemaker doesn't know why, first off, I'm asking and what it means. And legitimate winemakers will say to me, you know what, this vintage, I had to use some milk powder or something to help my wine. I had to do something to the wine. So there's these tools out there where you can go on and put check if a product is vegan, but you, the consumer has to understand that vintage really matters on that. Do you, do you find there's any good tool that accurate that someone could put a product in and find out if it is vegan? Um, honestly, no. I wish there were. I think, again, I'd like to see is someone like self who's buying wine um, and wine distributors to start asking or at least sharing more of these details. So the public knows and you know, but Barnivore is one website I've seen, but honest populated randomly. And a yeah. lot of them are bulk wines. You know, they may be vegan, but who knows what else? Yeah. It's not updated too often. That's the that's a bad thing. Oh, so I think it's a real challenge, Mark. I think it's something that um, the whole industry can improve on. Kathy, do you think we're right at the beginning of these types of, you know, this type of awareness of these other things that consumers are looking for when it comes to a bottle of wine? You know, it's not just how does the wine taste in the glass? It's this attention to wellness. It's the attention to environmental aspects. What What is the footprint that this wine is leaving on the earth? This idea of wine as food. And so you want to apply the same types of restrictions. Restrictions, not really the right word, but you know, you want to, you want to eat the same way that you drink and drink the same way that you eat. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I almost feel like, I mean, I've, Mark and I have been in the business for a very long time, and I don't feel like 20 years ago, this was really something that consumers were paying much attention to or were talking about or were really thinking about. And I, you know, I, I kind of wonder, are we right at the start of this and where is this going to go? Is there some direction that you feel like for the next few years, things that you think will happen when it comes to these sort of either labeling or awareness that, that consumers and not just consumers, but those of us who are in the trade apply to the wines that we're drinking and selling? Well, I think that's very well put, Kim. And yes, I do think we're at the beginning of this. Unfortunately, COVID has really put a spotlight on health, right? Mm-hmm. So 
people are looking even more rigorously at what they're drinking and how it impacts them. We also have Gen Z, right? These are folk, the young people that don't want to drink and they want low alcohol or they want to know exactly what's going in their bodies. And that's the future of wine. So I do think we're at the beginning of this. I do see, so we have some of the labeling initiatives in Europe. So typically what happens is it happens in Europe, happens in California, spreads to the US. Mm -hmm. I mean, I give it five or six years and we'll start seeing more transparency true when it comes to wine. And then it will normalize. That's what I see. I think it's going to take six or seven years. In between, this is, you know, what I hope to achieve is get as much quality information out there. So the consumer and especially the wine professionals and the servers, you know, can lead when it comes to this information. Let's get ahead of the curve, not wait for a label. Oh, I was ahead, just going to say that it, it Kathy, it, by your trying to get ahead of the curve and training the people in the profession first, you are yeah. meeting the clientele where they want to be. Right. So, you know, you you've gotten to the point where you have a group of wine professionals and and servers and restaurants who already have the information so that when they have their guests come into their restaurant, they're ready for them. Um, and that makes such an impact on the guest that, you know, they have a need and bam, their server already has the information that they want. Like that makes such an impact when it comes to service that doing that work ahead of time can be really, really beneficial, not just uh, for that business, but for the, you know, sort of this, this whole category. Agree. This, yes. If your consumer is first, I believe the wine professional will just be an amazing server if they know these things. And I have to say, just even understanding the survival guide and Understanding some basics on a label can take a server to another level. Obviously, I want to answer more of the server's questions and take them, you know, to another level when it comes to their education. But, you know, we've got to start somewhere. I thought your take was very interesting, Kathy, on the how COVID maybe people are thinking drinking healthier. And I was mm -hmm. thinking kind of the other way, unfortunately, that they're drinking more bulk wine because they want more bargain. They, they need more for their money right now. So they're not really conscious on, you know, on their health and caring about that as much. But I, I was never looking at you the way you were looking at it. I was looking at it the other way people, you know, are going more bulk now. I, well, you're more on the front lines. Um, and I guess I look at the U.S. consumer for the most part. You know, I'm really looking at the health conscious folks who are probably concerned about this and may look at the wine, but you're right that people that drink bulk or, you know, it's not a priority for them. I'm sure that this doesn't impact them at the same level, but I still believe they deserve to know what they're putting in their body. Yeah. And I think this type of education, if people learn what they're drinking and take some initiative to get this material out and they'll definitely start drinking better things and, and paying more attention to what they're putting in their glass. And it's a different take on wine education. Mark and I are, you know, we're very yeah. classically trained, I guess you could say, on, uh, on wine things where, you know, we also went through the WSET program and we're French wine scholars and, you know, all those very traditional wine education programs that 
as you said at the beginning of the interview, Kathy, they don't necessarily focus on the health portion of what is in your wine or really growing practices. You know, whenever we would talk about how grapes are grown, the whole pesticide herbicide thing is really sort of brushed over. So it's more about grape varieties and it's more about harvesting and timing and what happens at certain times of the year. But a lot of the things that you are focusing on really are glossed over or not there at all when it comes to traditional wine education. So it's, I think it's very, it's great that they're are folks like yourself who are bringing a different aspect to wine education for people and are focusing on a different part of what it means to consume wine and to be a wine drinker. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I'm amazed um, with my wine and spirits education, trust education, there was one line in my material on organic wine. There was one sentence. That's when I said, oh my goodness. <laughs> I think we can do better than that. <laughs> I think I took mine 20 years ago and I'm not sure there was anything about organic wine in it 20 years ago. And so I don't think I, I have no, I will not be a sommelier. I'm obviously exposed to wines, but yeah, I'm definitely more interested in the chemistry side and the impact side. Um, and I'm a, I'm open to learning as much as I can. You and Mark are like, you know, I, I bow to you. You guys know wine inside and out. <laughs> But I love having the perspective of someone who has a science background to talk about wine with (laughs) because, you know, you bring a different focus and different information that you know can answer questions that we might even not know that we should be asking. So I, I love the whole idea of having folks to talk to who have different expertise than we have. I mean, Mark and I could you know, argue all day about (laughs) certain aspects of wine, but it's, and we do sometimes, but it's very, I think it's very nice and it's very helpful for us to have other people who have um, other areas that is, that are their focus and that can um, work with us and help us learn more and understand more about, about our own, our own topics. I appreciate that. And I'm going to be, i I've got another person in Cleveland I'm trying to bring in to start talking more about um, wines as well on the health side. So I hope you'll, you're going to see more from, from me again on that. So I'm, I'm so happy to contribute. And, uh, you know, again, a pleasure to be interviewed today with, with, with you both. That's a great lead because we want to tell our listeners that we will be sending articles that we find to Kathy and do the same format with her on future shows. So articles related to health and wellness and wine and have her on as a special guest to give her take on these articles that we find. So uh, we're looking forward to it, Kathy. And, and I have one last question I have to ask you, Kathy, and it's in regards to what would be your number one wine buying tip to a consumer? Because Kim and I, we are very opinionated on our views and, and, and <laughs> Kim knows how I go off on what I call the big companies and stuff like that. So what is your number one take to a consumer when they're buying wine? A tip? Um, my biggest tip would be to spin the bottle and look at the back. And Mark, you and I have talked about this, is I will go for an estate grown and bottled wine first. We know where the grapes are from. We know how they're being handled, where it's being produced. Um, Typically that's a family owned property. They're not using a lot of pesticides 
And I find those wines have more personality. So I would say consumers need to look to the back of a wine label, see where it's being bottled. You don't want something that's necessarily just vintered vintered or cellared. Look for a state grown, um, produced next, but um, look to the back. All right. So it's been a pleasure today, Kathy, uh, talking with you. Once again, Kathy Clancy, her website is The Natural Wine School. I like that because it's the wonderful, wonderful world of wine and the natural wine school. Please check out her website. Uh, Kathy, you're starting your online class goes live. Is it this month or next month? Um, next month. Um, I have a consumer, I have a consumer class. I'm doing a wine makeover class that starts at the beginning, beginning of February and then the certifications in March. All right. You better make sure Kim and I are on the the first class for that certification. (laughs) All right. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, joined today by Kathy Clancy from The Natural Wine School. You can find her at thenaturalwineschool.com, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Every week, you can find us on WFPR, 102.9 FM in Franklin, Massachusetts, and past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.